Setting priorities is part of what makes some people more successful than others. A priority is something we give special attention ahead of anything else. But what does setting priorities have to do with prayer? Jesus taught his disciples to pray with priority by saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do your prayers reflect the priority of heaven? These days I hear a lot of praying in the church for Brother Bob's upcoming hernia surgery or the pain in Sister Sue's elbow. There's nothing wrong with such prayers for healing. The Bible tells us to pray for the sick. However, the Jesus way to pray prioritizes God's kingdom before any of our physical needs. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. want to know what your priorities are. Take a good look at your bank statement. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for being here for today's Something Good radio message from Dr. Ron Jones. Well, Jesus was a man with great power, uncommon passion, and a charismatic presence. But he was also a man of priority. He lived that way. And in Matthew chapter 6, he taught us to pray that way. Stay with us now as Ron moves ahead in his teaching series, The Jesus Way to Pray, or listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The Jesus Way to Pray with Priority. Setting priorities is part of what makes some people more successful than others. If I were to ask you, Hey, what are your priorities? Would, would you know what they are? I've said for years that I can look inside your checkbook and you can look inside mine and pretty much determine my priorities by, by where I spend or save or give you know, my money. And same is true with you. A priority is something we give special attention ahead of everything else. It comes first. Stephen Covey literally wrote the book on setting priorities. He had many bestsellers, but one was titled First Things First. And in that book, he said this, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. You understand the difference there? What he's suggesting is that sometimes we can, we can look at what's on our calendar and what's on our schedule, and we gotta be honest with ourselves and say, none of that is a priority. I have scheduled non-priorities. He says, no, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. In other words, you've got to discover what your priorities are and then put, give those first place on your calendar. Sounds simple enough, right? But it's not always easy to implement. Now, Jesus set priorities for his disciples and for us. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Hey, is the kingdom of God your priority? What's the first thing you think about when you get up in the morning? Is it that list of things on your schedule that, in all honesty, are non-priorities from heaven's perspective? Or is the kingdom of God and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness your first priority? 
Notice that in Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus used the words seek and not build. As Jesus' followers, we don't exactly build the kingdom of God. That, that's God's business to do. We may partner with him in some aspects of soul winning and all of that, but no, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. God's business is to build the kingdom. Uh, our business is to seek it. We do not build it, for instance, through religious activism, through education, by winning certain political races. We do not build the kingdom through environmentalism or social justice or all those kinds of things that kind of get us Christians all worked up at times. No, building the kingdom of God is God's business. Our business is to seek it, to prioritize it, to enter into it by faith, to receive it as God's gift of salvation and a gift of his grace. In fact, as Christians, we are already part of the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1 and verse 13, and he says that he, that is Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You're in one of two kingdoms, friend. You're either in the domain of darkness or in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus Christ can and will do for you by faith in him is transfer you from the domain of darkness uh, to the kingdom of his dear son. And so when we make the uh, kingdom of God our top priority, when we seek first the kingdom of God, you know what Jesus promises to do? <laughs> All those things that we worry about, food and clothing and you know, am I going to get, keep my job and all that kind of stuff? He says, all of that will be added unto you. You put the business of heaven at the top of your priority list. And Jesus will take care of the you know, mundane business that we have to deal with in everyday life. Now, what does that have to do with prayer? What does setting priorities have to do with our communication with God. Well, back up in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 33 to uh, the early part of that chapter where we run into the Jesus way to pray, the, the Lord's Prayer. And after our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Jesus taught his disciples to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me ask you this, do your prayers, or maybe I should make it plural, remember the our Father? Do our prayers as a community of faith reflect the priority of heaven? Do our prayers reflect the priority of heaven? Truth be known, a lot of the prayers that I hear, maybe coming out of my own mouth, the mouths of others, are often about uh, Brother Bob's uh, upcoming hernia operation. Or Sister Sue, you know, the pain in her elbow. Nothing wrong with praying prayers for healing. James chapter 5 tells us to pray for the sick. But let's be clear. The Jesus way to pray with priority is to pray first about kingdom business. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or as the King James, the beautiful language of the King James says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy instead of your, and thy instead of my. This is not about my kingdom come and my will be done in heaven as it is in my little corner of the earth. No, that, that reverses the whole idea here. 
In fact, the difference between thy and my is so significant. The word thy points to uh, points our prayers in a Godward direction, whereas my uh, flies in the face of um, the selfie-centered, narcissistic world in which we live. It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, some people, their favorite song is, uh, you know, I did it my way, the old Frank Sinatra tune. Some people want to make that our national anthem. Us, you know, strong, you know, independent Americans, I did it my way. No, when we prayed the Jesus way, what we're saying is we'll do it God's way. No, no mistaking. And, and this is, uh, I'll just say it on the front end, the radical and revolutionary restructuring of our priorities, starting in our prayer life. Now, there are two phrases we need to kind of wrap our thinking around here. The first is, thy kingdom come or your kingdom come. The other one, other one is your will be done. And the one that takes a little bit more explanation is the one about the kingdom of God. So let's start there. What is the kingdom of God? And if you have a little bit of a fuzzy understanding of the kingdom of God, you're in good company because the disciples misunderstood the kingdom of God and, and what that looked like when it came to this earth. Uh, hold your place here in Matthew 6 and go with me to Acts chapter 1. And uh, here Luke records a stunning interaction between Jesus and his disciples somewhere between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And it begins this way in verse 6. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Interesting question there. Uh, this was really on the minds of every pious Jew in the first century. Uh, coming from all the teachings and prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the kingdom. You know, Jesus, is this the time? Is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's kind of a nice way of Jesus brushing off the question. I had a professor of mine... And, College, who used to say, there are no dumb questions, no stupid questions, ask what you will. But this one comes close to making my professor a liar, all right? This one is not a smart question. That's why Jesus kind of brushes it off. And he goes on to redirect their thinking to the important role they will play as his witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. You see, the disciples believed, as did many in the first century, that when the kingdom of God came, it would look like this a Messiah who arrives and overthrows through political uh, coup or military might uh, the oppressive Roman government. Is this the time, Jesus, when the kingdom of God will show up that way? And no wonder Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, I'd have an army, and I, I, I would overthrow you. But he talked about another kingdom. Up next, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching is part of Ron's series, The Jesus Way to Pray. 
Watch or listen to the entire series at your convenience in the Something Good digital library at somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, be sure to download Ron's sermon notes for today's message. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Whenever you stop by, you're invited to share your prayer request with us. Use the Explore feature at the top of the homepage where you'll find the How Can We Pray For You option. Our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer anytime. What is the kingdom of God and where is it located? Answers come your way next in the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Jesus Way to Pray with Priority. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Let's back up in Jesus' ministry to earlier in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 7, where Jesus begins his ministry and he echoes the words of John the Baptist. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As time went on, Jesus told um, a lot of stories, didn't he? A lot of parables. I think we have 38 of them recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, most of all of the Uh, parables had kingdom themes to them. And he was telling these stories to correct people's misunderstandings about the kingdom of heaven. For example, in Matthew chapter 8, it records eight parables, five of them unique to Matthew's gospel. And this is where Jesus teaches what the kingdom of heaven is like. Just over and over again, what the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, because people had misunderstandings about it. The Pharisees were no better. They were clueless about the kingdom of God. And they came to Jesus in Luke chapter 17 and asked when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nobody's going to say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God, listen to this, is in the midst of you. Mysterious. What is all this talk about the kingdom of God? And of course, Jesus said nothing about a political coup that would change the balance of human power. Centuries ago, and let's call him an early church father named Augustine, Augustine of Hippo. It's actually a city named Hippo or a region called that. And he was, he was the bishop. And he grappled with the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. He wrote what is now considered a classic book called The City of God. And in The City of God, Augustine um, uh, compared and contrasted the city of God with the uh, city of man. The city of God, uh, he might define, is the place where God reigns sovereignly and rules And the rule of divine law produces an orderly society, reflecting God's perfect peace, righteousness, justice, mercy, and holiness for all citizens. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Most Christians today would love to live in an ordered society like this where decisions that are made in city hall or or even the Supreme Court, that those decisions reflect the character of God. Who wouldn't want to live in a place like that? at least among, among Christians. Of course, not all Christians agree on how that is accomplished. And then there are other people in our society called utopians. They also envision an ideal society, minus the rule of God's law, or minus any reflection upon the kingdom of God. But there's something inside of all of us, and it was there with the disciples. Is this the time? When, when is somebody going to come and establish an ideal world where righteousness and justice and holiness and truth you know, flow through our courts and through our civic decisions and all of that. We seem to be at the far end of that spectrum today. 
After his conversion to faith in Jesus Christ, Chuck Colson, who used to be known as Richard Nixon's hatchet man in the White House and who got all you know, tangled up in the Watergate uh, scandal uh, decades ago, he came to faith in Jesus Christ during his term in prison, wrote a best-selling autobiography called Born Again and many, many books after that, one of which was titled Kingdoms in Conflict. And 2,000 years after Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, Colson, well, he offers his unique insights into the clash between earthly and spiritual kingdoms at work then and even now in politics and religion. And Colson believed back then that uh, the power mongering within the religious right actually blurred some of the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And he's probably right. Because we don't build the kingdom of God by winning this election over here. We don't build the kingdom of God through, you know, environmentalism and all these isms out there. Political act activism and all that. That's not how you build the kingdom of God. We seek the kingdom of God that is already being built by our Savior. And we enter into it by faith and we receive it as a gift of grace. Decades later, and I think with some clearer insight, Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, a great thinker, he says, the Lord's Prayer is for revolutionaries, for men and women who want to see the kingdom of this world give way to the kingdom of our Lord. Again, too many Christians think that that happens by, by, by charging the halls of Washington and getting the right legislation in place and winning this election and that election. All of that good, but that's not what the kingdom of God is about. Muller goes on to remind his readers that Jesus is not inviting us to pray, listen to this, that the governments of this world will transform into the kingdom of God, but that the kingdom of God will come from heaven to earth in power and glory. And I think both Augustine and Muller would probably agree that no government on earth will ever become the city of God. But one glorious day, one glorious day, the city of man will give way, step out of the way as the city of God comes to this earth. King David had that in mind as well in the Old Testament. In fact, the, the notion of the kingdom of God is uh, embedded in all kinds of uh, Bible prophecies found in the Old Testament. Write down in your notes 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 8 through 17. We don't have time to go there and read it and you know, dissect it, but um, this passage of Scripture records the covenant that God made with David that established his throne forever. It's known as the Davidic covenant, and it is the most vivid portrayal of the kingdom of God from an Old Testament perspective, such that when Jesus arrived and declared, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was echoing and fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, and in doing so, inaugurating a kingdom that is still being consummated. Let me say that again. He inaugurated a kingdom that's still being consummated. I remember when I was in seminary years ago, one of the questions they had brown bag lunches over and all this, and the, you know, the deep theological thinkers and professors of the seminary would get together to... You know, talk about this question. Is Jesus sitting on King David's throne today? 
I'm thinking to myself, nobody outside of the seminary wall here is asking that question. I, I, I still, you know, struggle to, you know, what, what, what's the connection there? Why does that even matter? But it was a, a really actually an important theological understanding when you're talking about the kingdom of God. And those deep theological thinkers would often come to this conclusion. The kingdom of God is now and not yet. There you go. Uh, that's a real head scratcher. The kingdom of God is now, but it's not yet. Now, what does he mean by that? What do, what do theologians mean by that? Well, the now aspect of the kingdom is the reign and rule of Jesus Christ in the hearts of all who truly believe in him. And so I ask you, is Jesus your king? Is he sitting on the throne of your life? The problem is, a lot of us think that throne is a love seat. There are places for two people, me and Jesus. No, it's a one-seater throne. Is Jesus king? Now, for a lot of us living in America where we don't have a, a royal family, we have a president, we don't have a king and a queen and all the monarchy kind of stuff, this just you know, doesn't compute in our minds. But you have to kind of transport yourself not to uh, you know, the British monarchy or something like that, but to the monarchies of the Old Testament. It was all about the kings. We have two books in the Old Testament, First and Second Kings. And through the Chronicles and First and Second Samuel and all that, you have the long history of Israel. The kingdom of God is a person, not a place. Be encouraged today as a believer in Christ. He is alive in you, which means you have the power to leave a little bit of Jesus wherever you go. If you missed part of Dr. Ron Jones' message, or if you'd like to share it with a friend, stop by somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The song Route 66 by Bobby Troop captured the heartbeat of a generation that dreamed of traveling the open road on US 66, from Chicago, Illinois, to Santa Monica, California. Get your kicks. On Route Get your kicks on Route 66 became the rally cry and part of the song's popular lyric. If reading the 66 books of the Bible was like a Route 66 road trip across America, people might do more than casually flip through the best-selling book of all time. That idea captured my heart and inspired me to write a book called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, making the Bible's story accessible to a new generation of people. Get your kicks on the biblical Route 66. Join me on The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, is now available as a two-volume set covering the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. For a gift of $50 or more, request your copy of the set. When you order the print books, you will also get unlimited access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The Digital Library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and eight eBooks. To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volumes 1 and 2, through the Old and New Testaments, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible makes a great addition to any home library. Request both volumes today at somethinggoodradio.org. 
Now here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message. He has the sole right to exercise his ruling power over his creation. Okay, this, this is what we mean by his decreed will. However, he created us in his image, right? And he created us with free will, which leads us to a second category we gotta understand, which I think is in view when Jesus taught us to pray your will be done. We call this God's desired will. His desired will refers to all that he, well, desires or wishes or expects of us human beings. That's next time when Dr. Ron Jones shares part two of his message, The Jesus Way to Pray with Priority. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.